Welcome to worship. We're so glad that you made the choice to be here with us today. I'm Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we wanna give you a very special welcome. If you'll check in with us and provide your email address, we will send you a Starbucks gift card this coming week and the coffee is on us. This is week five of our sermon series, Rest. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Corey with our announcements. Hello, welcome to Schweitzer Church. We are so glad you're here. I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. Easter is coming up in just two weeks, and we'll be celebrating with two worship services on Sunday, April 9th, with our traditional service at 9 a.m. and our modern service at 11 a.m. Between the two services, we'll have an Easter egg hunt for kids. During Holy Week, we will have a special Maundy Thursday communion service on April 6th at 6 p.m. And then on Friday, April 7th, we invite you to come and take part in an interactive Good Friday experience about the last words of Jesus. This is a great opportunity for families or small groups. Learn more today at schweitzer.church Easter. And of course, to help make Easter Sunday as welcoming as possible, we need many volunteers to serve as greeters, ushers, photographers, and more. Sign up online, again, at schweitzer.church Easter or at the Blue Booth today. This Tuesday, March 28th, we have a special and important way for you to volunteer with our Easter prep party happening in the office at 5.30 p.m. We'll have pizza, we will stuff eggs for the kids' ministry, and more. This is a fun way to serve and help prepare for Easter. Sign up at the Blue Booth or at schweitzer.church Easter. That same day, Tuesday, March 28th, we have another way to serve the Springfield community. From 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., Flourish will be participating in a neighborhood cleanup at Nichols Park. This is a great opportunity to care for and encourage the residents of our West Side neighborhoods. Serve for an hour or for the whole day. We'd love your help. Find out more at schweitzer.church flourish or at the Blue Booth. Last but not least, graduation season is right around the corner. If you have a high school or college student graduating in May, please share the details with us at schweitzer.church graduate. Once again, we are so glad you're here. Now, let's continue in worship. Thanks, Corey, for those great announcements. You can always go online and find out more about the great things that are happening here at Schweitzer Church by going to schweitzer.church next. And if you're worshiping with us live today, we want to invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And as always, we have someone ready to pray with you in our prayer room. Just simply press that button and we'll be right with you. And now, let's continue in worship. Um, 
that resurrection morning when other dead in flesh shall rise. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Sown in weakness, raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new glory, glory, with the redeemer sand. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, there'll be no more strife. In his likeness, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. What a hallelujah morning when the last trump of God shall sound. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Graves all burst and saints are shouting, heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Glory, glory, never sad. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, there'll be no more strife. In his likeness, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new glory, glory, never sad. As we come to this time of prayer, I want to invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings that you have given to each one of us. And above all, God, we praise you for who you are. You are mighty and we love you. God, we have had a busy week. We've had a week full of activities and commitments and meetings and so many things that take away from our opportunity just to rest in you. And God, as we worship today, we want to remember that if we observe the Sabbath, you are giving us an opportunity just to rest, just to take a deep breath. And God, that rest is just a little glimpse of what heaven is and what heaven will be like for us. We thank you for the opportunity to focus, to refocus, and just to enjoy the creation and our family and friends that are around us. God, as we continue to pray today, we want to say together the prayer that you taught us, saying together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
As we come to this time of offering, I want to share with you about our men's ministry and our women's ministries here at Schweitzer. We have tremendous things going on, and all of them are focused on fellowship and faith building, and I know you'll want to be part of this. Pat Zimmer leads our men's ministry. They do great things together like breakfasts, outings, and this month, a hike. We invite you to join them. Tamara Standage just led a women's ministry gathering where they talked about Take Five, a way to pray for people and events in their community. We invite you to join in our women's and men's ministries, and we want to thank you for all the ways that you support these ministries and more at Schweitzer. We want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church/give. And now, let's join together as we enter into week five of our sermon series, Rest. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. So glad that you're here with us. Uh, today is part five of our series called Rest as we are exploring the biblical teaching of the Sabbath. And one of the things we're learning about the Sabbath is it's not so much about what you do or don't do one day a week. It's really about a whole approach to life that very few people find. Now, most modern American Christians, we've dismissed the Sabbath as irrelevant. It's old fashioned. It's not something we really think about anymore, except that the Sabbath is all over the Bible. It's like almost in the Bible, almost 200 times with the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is one of those core biblical thoughts, except that for so many of us, we, we don't give it any thought whatsoever. And the result of that is that, that when we don't even think about this pace of life that God has for us, that, that we end up just adopting the pace of life from the world where we end up busy and overscheduled and living our lives in a hectic kind of way. And we end up tired and fatigued and burnt out and distant from God and distant from the people that we love. I wondered if that doesn't sound just a little bit familiar. Well, this series is, is exploring this, this, this teaching, um, this biblical teaching of the Sabbath as a way of recovering and understanding the pace of life that God wants us to live. So today, this is part five. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter four. Um, in, in our house, uh, my wife and I, we have this thing that we say to one another where we'll say, um, there's always a thing behind the thing. Like, I don't know if you've had conversations with folks before and you're, you're talking about something, you think you're talking about this, and then all of a sudden you realize you're really talking about that because there's a, there's a thing behind the thing. This happens in marriage all the time. It's like, I thought we were talking about how to empty the dishwasher, but then it's some reason we come up, we're talking about something from like three years ago. There's a thing behind the thing. Well, 
This week and next week, we're going to be talking about the thing behind the thing when it comes to the Sabbath. We're going to be talking about some deeper things than just um, what we do on the Sabbath or how we how we honor the Sabbath and we keep the Sabbath day holy. We're going to be talking about some some deeper things, swimming in some deeper waters um, as we move through these next two weeks of the Sabbath as we really think in a much, much deeper way about what the Sabbath teaches us about things like forgiveness and God's grace and how we receive mercy and uh, even our salvation as we talk about the thing behind the thing when it comes to the Sabbath. So today, Hebrews chapter 4. If you've never read Hebrews before, just be forewarned. This is a book that's kind of difficult. It's uh, it's dense. It's uh, full of Old Testament references because it's written for a Jewish audience. And so sometimes it can be kind of hard to navigate. Um, but as we walk through this, though, we're going we're gonna to see a incredibly, profoundly, incredibly important uh, uh, teaching here about the Sabbath as it teaches us on some, some deeper things about uh, the Sabbath day. So Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through this chapter, and here's what it says. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, as God's rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found uh, to have to be found to have fallen short of it. Now we're picking up mid-thought here quite obviously, because anytime you start a sentence with the word uh, therefore, you're starting it in mid-thought. So um, in in Hebrews chapter 4, it's obviously tied to Hebrews chapter 3, and and, and throughout the the reason the, the book of Hebrews. Uh, there are these Old Testament references that you just find over and over and over again. Well, that's one of the reasons that makes this book kind of hard to read and understand and, and, and dense is because it's got so many um, Old Testament references and, and, and references to and motives and, and uh, metaphors from the Old Testament. And so in Hebrews chapter 3, there's this, this theme that's woven through it. And you really, it's woven through the whole book of, of understanding our life through the lens of the metaphor of the, of the people of Israel, especially as they wandered through the desert. And so we know that story. We know the story of how the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for generations. And God raised up Moses and sent Moses to the to confront Pharaoh. And we have the 10 plagues and eventually Pharaoh relents. And, and um, finally, the people of Israel are, are freed from slavery after these generations. They go to the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts for them. Uh, they cross and are delivered, and, and God drowns the Egyptians in the water, and, and, and uh, the Israelites go to Mount Sinai, they receive the Ten Commandments, and it's like, ah, happy ending, it's a good story, except that it's really not a good story. It doesn't end there, because the Israelites, we get the golden calves, and they have uh, this rebellion against God, and so for the next 40 years, an entire generation, the people of Israel will will wander in the desert, in the desert, and they'll wander in this wilderness, and, and uh, one of the things the Bible says about them really in the Old Testament and, and, and again in Hebrews, is that the reason that they wander for this generation is because they have what the Bible calls um, hard hearts. That is that they are not open to God. They're disobedient to God. They're rebellious to God. They want to live life on their own terms. And so as they want to live their life on their own terms, God says, okay, you can do this. And so for the next 40 years, they end up uh, wandering in, into the, in the wilderness and they they aren't able to enter into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They're not able to receive the rest that God would give them as they cross into the promised land. And so um, Hebrews uses that metaphor of the wandering of the people of Israel as a metaphor for all of us because all of us wander. All of us have a tendency to go our own way. All of us have a tendency to, to live life on our own terms. And, and in this, we just we wander away from the life that God has for us. And so Chapter four opens with that metaphor in mind. And again, I want to read that open verse one more time to you. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, this is a reference to the promised land, the, the Israelites entering the rest in the promised land, still stands. 
Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So don't be like Israel, who's found to be fallen short of the rest that God wants to give to them because of their hard hearts. Verse two, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So let me say all that differently and a bit more clearly, just really simple. The first two verses are saying this, don't be like Israel. Don't be like them. Don't have a hard heart because when you do, you miss out on on the rest that God wants to give to you. Verse three, now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. It's a quote from Psalm 95. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. That's Genesis 2. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience or their hard hearts, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Now pay attention to these next two verses, verse 9, 10, and 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I want to read that one more time. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, I told you, and I gave you fair warning, uh, Hebrews is dense, it's hard to navigate, it's hard to make sense of, uh, but as we explore this biblical teaching of Sabbath, we, we have to spend some time here in, in Hebrews chapter four because, because this, this here, it, it is key to understanding the Sabbath beyond just what do you do or not do one day a week? What, what we're reading here, I mean, it's, it's hard to get and it's dense, but this is like the thing behind the thing. This is so incredibly important. So essentially what we have in Hebrews 4 is a, is a breakdown of this metaphor of rest that you see in, in three ways. One, we saw that God rests at the end of creation, Genesis 2, that was referenced here. Two, we saw that the rest that came from Joshua was offered um, as the people were gonna stop uh, their wanderings to go in the promised land. So entering the promised land is also a, a way of rest. And then three, we saw rest as a future promise of God given to his people. And that's really the key point here is that is that that we, as we read about the Sabbath in the Bible, we're not just reading about what happens, you know, one day a week. No, no, no. Like, like Hebrews is telling us that every time you read about the Sabbath and every time you experience the Sabbath. It's not just that you're experiencing something on that day. You're actually getting a, a taste of our eternal reward. You're getting a, a taste of our salvation. You're getting a, a taste of, of heaven. This is what the Sabbath is, is, is pointing us to. And that makes sense because as you, as you think about it, the Sabbath, it mirrors the gospel. I mean, think about the gospel for a few moments. The gospel message, really simple. In our sin and disobedience and rebellion, God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. 
So God was able to, to come through for us. He sends his son for us. He provides for us. And, uh, and what he does then is he gives us this, this gift of salvation. One of the clearest places you see this, this dynamic is in um, Ephesians chapter 2. So let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2, just a few verses here. And as we go through this, we're going to read about two things. We're going to read about us and then we're going to read about God. As we read about us and then about God, pay attention to kind of who does what in these verses that we read. So here's Ephesians 2. Just listen to how the gospel is expressed and, and what we learn from this. So verse 1, as for you, that is um, you, not someone else. This is about you. So as for you, you, yes, you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So this is how we live. This, all of us, all of us were like this. We all lived like this. And the result is the next line here. The next line says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So like, we're not mincing our words here. Here's how the Bible presents us uh, before we have faith in Christ. Now, as we keep going, pay attention to how these verses shift and then describe what God does. So verse four, so because of his, that is God's great love for us. So we have our rebellion on one hand and then God's great love for us on the other hand. So because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. So we were dead in our transgressions. God is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, and that word grace, it just means gift. It is by God's grace, his gift, that you have been saved. So notice those verbs. When it comes to salvation, who does what? Well, very simply, God. God, God does everything. I mean, that's, that's what we read here. I mean, we rebelled, we acted in self-interest, we, we were disobedient, and yet it's God who makes us alive. It's God who's rich in mercy. It's God's actions that come on our behalf, not, not ours. Now keep, keep paying attention to this. Verse six it says, God raised us up with Christ and God seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he, that is God, might show the incomparable riches of his, that's God's grace expressed in his, that is God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, it is God's grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. Your works have nothing to do with this, so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in salvation, in the gospel, who does what? Well, really simply, God. I mean, God does, does it all. I mean, God, God does it all. What do we do? We receive, but God is the one who, who gives this gift. I mean, this is the really, really simple formula of the gospel. Um, God does the work. God sends his son. God's son dies sacrificially on our behalf. He's raised again for us. And then what do we do? We receive. We receive. That's, that's what we do. We receive grace. We receive mercy. We receive forgiveness. We receive uh, healing. We receive the Holy Spirit. We receive life abundant. We receive life eternal. This is what we do. We, we receive. And that's, that's it. Like end of the sentence. No, no more commentary. Like that, that's how this works. It is God's gift given to us. All we do is receive. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ is that we are receiving the gift of his son. This is what we do. So I put my faith in Christ to save me. I'm, I'm, 
I'm just really receiving what this is. And this is the, the great gift of the gospel. It's amazing. It's, it's glorious. It's just, it's a gift. And yet, many, 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 many Christians struggle with this. Because we, we hear that and we know, okay, yeah, the gospel is a gift. I get that. Yeah, 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 I get that. But we think to ourselves, yeah, I, I get it. But seriously, like, what do I need to do? Or it's like, yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's a gift that God gives us. It's God's grace. Yeah, yeah, wink, 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 wink. But seriously, what, what do I need to do in order to receive this, to get this, to, to live into this? And so, and so we think like this because nothing in life works in the same dynamic as the gospel. This gift that God just simply gives to us. Nothing in life works like this. I mean, the way that the world works is you reap what you sow. You have to take responsibility for your actions. You, you work for what you have, and all that's true, of course. But, but except what God wants to do is he just wants to give a gift. I mean, this is the gift of his son sacrificed for you. So I'll go back to Hebrews chapter 4. As we think about the gospels, we think about how salvation work, works, it's no wonder that the Sabbath would, um, would be linked to the gospel, to salvation, because the Sabbath, it mirrors salvation. It mirrors the gospel. I mean, think about it. Six days you work and you work hard. You check the boxes, you get things done, you scratch things off your to-do list, you achieve, you earn, you get ahead. You do all the things you have to do um, in six days. And then the seventh day comes and you stop. That's what the word Sabbath means. You stop. This is a day to be holy. It's a day to devote to God. It's a day to to rest. And here is a day that is specifically about not doing the kinds of things that get you ahead. This is a day that is specifically about not being productive, not being efficient, or at least not in the kind of ways that the world might define those words. Instead, this is a day to worship. It's a day to rest. Maybe it's a day to turn off our screens. It's a day to to, to connect with people. And certainly, you know, part of the keeping the Sabbath is about connecting with people. It's about family time. It's about tending to our marriages. In fact, the rabbis used to say that, 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 um, that Sabbath was meant for sex because it was a, it was a day for connection and intimacy and, and, and being together and family and those kinds of things. And so these are the kinds of things that happen, you know, on the Sabbath. And this is what we celebrate, family, connection, worship, rest. And, and these are not the kinds of things that you can achieve. These are not the kinds of things that, you know, get you ahead. There's not the kinds of things that you, you seek to be more productive in and that kind of thing. Like these are, these are not those kinds of things. And to me, this is one of the most profoundly important aspects about the Sabbath is that rest and keeping the Sabbath day holy, you can't accomplish these things. You, you can't, um, you know, be more productive and efficient in these kinds of things. You, that's why, you know, legalism breaks down when it comes to the Sabbath and why it's not just about a bunch of rules because, because rest and, and holiness to, to have a day devoted to the Lord, like these are the kinds of things that you don't put on a to-do list. You don't, you don't have check boxes for these kinds of things. And so I think it's fascinating to think about that, that rest is not something you achieve and it's not something you get done, but rather rest, it's, uh, it's something that you receive. It's something that comes into your life and you receive it instead of just getting it done and then moving on to the next thing. And so it's no wonder for me that when Hebrews talks about salvation, the Sabbath becomes this metaphor for this because, because here is this day that is about just simply receiving. And that's what the gospel is. I mean, the Sabbath rest is a, is a, is a metaphor for describing the gospel because, 
And this is the thing that's behind the thing here is that here we have this gift that God has given us in the Sabbath. And our job here is to receive it and to receive everything that comes with it. I mean, we think about the difference that, that it makes when you start to attend to the Sabbath. There's all these other things that come that we begin to just simply receive. And so this um, brings me back around to my wild theory that's guiding this, this series that modern American Christians desperately need to rediscover the Sabbath. And so just, just, just think about this for a second. Like what would happen in your life if you began to take the Sabbath more seriously? What, what, would, what would happen in your life if, that, if you were to take the, the Sabbath more seriously? I don't mean legalistically, but I mean purposefully or, or intentionally. Like what would happen in your life? What would happen in your family if every week you had a day where you worshiped together? Rain or shine, like this is the thing that we do. This is what my family is going to be about. Not just when it's convenient or easy, but my family is going to be focused. My life is going to be focused and I'm, we're going to worship together. This is what we do. What would change in your life or what would happen in your family if, if you had a day a week where it was devoted to not checking things off, not getting chores done, not making more happen, but was simply about being together? What would happen in your life? What would happen in your family if, if you know, once a week you had a day where you put your phones down and you put them away in order to, to connect and relate to one another? What would happen in our, in our, in our life, in your family, if, if you had a day that was not about productivity? Like, what, what would happen? It was a day to rest. What do you think you learned from that? What do you think your kids would learn from that? I mean, these are the, the things that we receive from the Sabbath. As the Sabbath begins to become a part of our life, we, we begin to see and connect with others in, in, in very different ways. And so I'm just going to go on a limb here and I'm going to say this, but I, I bet that if you were to live like this, if you were to take the Sabbath as a serious thing in your life, I, I bet that if you were to do this, that what you would find is that you would find the most important things in life. Because the important, most important things in life are, are usually those things that are not found on checkboxes and to-do lists and productivity and getting more done. Those are usually not the most important things in life. But instead, you're going to find things like a relationship with God. You're going to find deeper, meaningful relationships with people you love the most. You're going you're to find these kinds of things because those are the kind of things that really matter. And those are not the kinds of things that fit on to-do lists. And the Sabbath becomes a gift for us to experience these kinds of things. There's this great book I read last year called um, 24-6. It's about the Sabbath. It was a, a prescription for a happier, healthier life. Uh, great book. I highly recommend it. Very practical teaching on the Sabbath and how to live into it. And this book was written by a man named Matthew Sleeth, who's not a pastor. He's not a theologian. He was a medical doctor. And his own story is really pretty fascinating because uh, this man wasn't a believer, wasn't raised in the church, didn't have any sort of faith at all. And he married a, a Jewish woman who wasn't religious, but because of her family heritage, they began to keep the Sabbath. And as they began to keep the Sabbath and to pay attention to this, uh, what happened, the result over time was that both Matthew Sleeth and his wife and their children all came to faith in Christ. And, and he credits the difference for them was keeping the Sabbath. There's this process that, that through this opened them up to new things in life and to new, new ideas and new things that they began to discover. So in his book, Matthew Sleeth writes about the value of the Sabbath. I want to just I want you to hear what he says and how he describes this. I think this is so wise. He says, we have enough work, but too little time for God in life. We have enough money, but we opt for a cycle of consumption and waste. We canonize the American dream and worship it. And today we live in one of the most prosperous eras of human history. Yet many of us never get beyond survival mode. And unrelenting work can keep us from asking life's big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? 
Why does all this, what does all this mean? And so jumping off the hamster wheel once a week allows us to think about who we are and why we exist and why we were made. I, I just, I love that. Because keeping the Sabbath is this practical and simple thing that for, for him, brought him and his whole family to faith in Christ. I just, I think that is, that is beautiful. So let me end here with a, a simple question. If you were to start taking Sabbath seriously, you were to pay attention to this and have a rhythm to your life, a way that you're gonna set it aside as a special day devoted to God, devoted to relationships, what do you think God would do in your life? What do you think God would stir in your heart as you started to have space for the most important things in life? You started to ask bigger questions. Maybe you'd find some restored relationships. Maybe you'd find deeper connections with other people. Maybe you'd find a restored relationship with God as he became a priority for you. Maybe you'd find freedom from an identity that was just about your work or your accomplishments. Maybe you'd find a new sense of purpose. Maybe a deeper understanding of God's presence in your life. Like if you were to keep the Sabbath and pay attention to this and be intentional about it, what do you think God would do in your life? Because here's the thing, God wants to move in your life. He, he wants to bring blessing and healing and goodness. He wants to bring direction and purpose. God wants to bring uh, new ministry and new opportunities to, to impact other people. Like God wants your relationships to thrive and to be well and to be healthy. God wants you to be in that same way. And I just, I just wonder if sometimes we miss these things because we don't have room in our life to receive them. What the Sabbath teaches us is to open our lives to the gift of God to receive the most important things. Let's pray together. So Father, today as we think about the Sabbath, the thing behind the thing, the, the, the deeper issue here, um, we find that Sabbath is a gift. Uh, it's a gift that mirrors the gospel because the most important things in life are not things that we put on checkboxes and to-do lists. and It's not things that get handled with greater productivity and another weekend event or another thing that on the calendar, but instead these are the things that happen when we open our life and create some space where we can receive. We can receive restored relationships. We can receive healing. We can receive your grace. We can receive your mercy. This is how the gospel works, is that you give, that you provide, that you move in our life, and you just want us to receive. And so, Father, today, for some of us, we need to name some specific things that we need to receive from you. Maybe there's some specific relationships. Maybe there's some specific things that we're struggling with, some sin, some, some uh, discomfort, some, some problems that we're, we're just struggling through, and we just need to receive wisdom. We need to receive guidance. We need to receive from you. For some of us, we need to receive salvation from you, the, the gift of your son given for us that we would have new life and healing and receive the Holy Spirit. And so we just offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? This is the prayer of the gospel that just very simply, we receive what it is that you have. And so we put our faith in you. We wanna open our lives to receive what you have for us as we live into this gift of Sabbath, this gift of your grace, this gift of your mercy as we see you move in our lives in deeper and greater ways, as we practice this very simple and practical thing called Sabbath. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for worship. I wanna thank our team that made this service possible and a special thank you to Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this service, 
I invite you to share it online. Thank you so much for doing that. And now I wanna invite you back next week for the final week of our series, Rest. You won't wanna miss this and we look forward to seeing you next week.
sing of the goodness of God.